This Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome, everyone. I am joined once again by Kirk Kruger, continuing on on our series. And today we are focusing on the second episode titled Talent Attraction. So how, how do we really ensure that our reward offering is competitive? So welcome, Kirk. Fantastic. We're looking really forward to, to hearing your perspectives on this. And I know we've got uh, your latest article uh, loaded and, and up on the talenttalks.net site. If anybody wants to read any more detail, they can uh, go into your article. But today we really want to focus our discussion on a few of the key things that we're seeing in talent attraction. So just from your perspective, what are the current challenges that we are facing from an attraction or a talent attraction perspective within organizations at present and more so as we start stepping into these hybrid organizational models? So, Karen, I think uh, what what's standing out for me is that in hybrid working environments, talent out there in the market uh, have a lot more choice. People are now able to work from various locations. Uh, they're not forced to be in a particular geography, and that's making the the ability to attract and retain talent um, a bit more challenging. People are now increasing the importance of of having a certain amount of work-life balance and in some instances even decreasing their focus on the quantum of reward that they are looking for. So that's the the trend uh, that I'm seeing at the moment. So when we go about this, how important is it? You know, we've got organizations out there all trying to attract this talent and we've come from an environment where this war for talent is being continuously played out. But how important is it for companies to know and get to grips with the competitive landscape when it comes to talent attraction? Yes, it's it's incredibly important. Um, I think the you know the days of having a very uniform and somewhat bland offering is just not uh, cutting it anymore. Uh, companies now really need to understand the the market in which they are competing for talent. They need to have a very good handle on what's being offered in the market in terms of pay, benefits, incentives, non-monetary rewards are increasingly important. Companies have to be able to to respond uh, to to the market out there. And if you don't know what's in the market, then it's very, very difficult to respond. So the whole process of looking at market data, of looking at um, insights about the market, that has just increased in importance. Companies must make sure that they are participating in good quality surveys, that they are bringing the data into their business, that they are digesting that data, and then putting in place really solid plans on on what they are going to offer. Company can't be everything to everyone, and companies, they need to differentiate. They need to play to their strengths and make sure that they they stand out in that competitor landscape. Kirk, you were mentioning now the importance or we're seeing more of these kind of non-financial rewards coming to the fore. How do we factor that into and how do we understand and interrogate then what would uh, go into a, a total rewards uh, package then? 
How do we put that together? Yeah, so I, I think um, it, it starts with, as I mentioned, looking at, at what's in the market. Oftentimes, these non-monetary rewards come through in the form of things such as uh, very attractive learning and development environments uh, where people are able to grow in their skill set, where they are placed on highly focused uh, development programs. Um, sometimes, you know, they are even able to go um, overseas for these learning opportunities. We're also seeing the importance even down to the flexibility around work. And people are, are prepared to work really hard, but uh, sometimes the company culture, you know, is not very favorable for that, uh, for them to have some flexibility. And so people want to know that they can, to some degree, structure their day, their week, um, in a way that, that suits their family needs. And so these are all examples of non-monetary reward that's, that's important. And the integration of that is really, again, built on understanding the skills that a company needs, the type of people, and then crafting very attractive offerings in each of these areas and making sure that each item is in sync with the other in the total reward offering. And that oftentimes will then, you know, place the company in a, in a very strong position as they are looking for talent in the market. You know, we've seen essentially the pandemic has, in my perspective at least, triggered quite a, a big value shift in people. Um, where we are really wanting to align with organizations that are playing to a greater purpose and one that we were not just exchanging time for money in. We want to feel more connected. We want to feel that we are making a difference. We want more meaning in our day-to-day -day lives. How do you see this factoring in and, and pulling through in or challenging the landscape currently in it from a talent attraction perspective? Are you seeing any of these impacts? Yes, um, Karen, you, you're quite right. I think uh, what companies are having to do now is not only look at the, the reward offering in monetary and non-monetary terms, I think in the, the total employee value proposition, uh, companies are having to examine their culture, what they stand for, how they function as part of the, the bigger community uh, in which they operate, and then actually strive to have a, a purpose and a contribution that is more than just uh, you know generating profits, and oftentimes the team that that's responsible for that that value proposition will work right across the organisation, interacting with people in many different disciplines to really drive and steer uh, this purpose uh, for the organisation, uh, and then distill that into a message that is understandable and attractive in the market. But yes, you, you're quite right. It, it is uh, something that has grown in importance over the years and factoring more and more into the decisions that people make about where they work. So let's talk around what kind of guidelines, uh, you know, being in practice for as many years as that you have been, what, what guidelines would you offer to organizations when structuring this total rewards package? And in particular, I think one of the other key things that have, has really come into focus over the last few years is equal pay for equal uh, work. Those kind of principles starting to really filter through and companies really having to, to put their money where their mouth is. How do you see this playing out and what guidelines can you offer? Well, I think for me, you know, for an organization to start off with, to really make sure that they know the environment in which they want to attract talent from, and also uh, understand 
their current employees uh, and what their needs are, uh, what would retain them in the organization. And this is often done through, uh, through research. There's many ways that an organization can gather this, this information. And then once they have that information, really to, to act upon it, to deliberately decide you know, what their offering is going to be and how they're going to, to differentiate themselves from their, their competitors. And equal pay for equal work. Um, I think you know, they, what needs to be done is that companies need to have the the basics in place in the previous podcast we spoke about uh, you know job design job evaluation make sure you have that uh, overall structure uh, in place that is uniform that has um, very solid salary scales linked to it uh, and then uh, at the time of recruitment companies need to be very clear on not differentiating in an unfair way when they are recruiting people into the same job. Equal pay for equal work is is all about uh, two people, if they do the same work, uh, should get paid roughly the same amount. So it's very important at the time of recruitment uh, not to you know, be blinded by perhaps what somebody has previously earned, rather say, what is it that we are going to pay for this particular job? Uh, regardless uh, of the the gender or the race of the individual. I think you just bring up an important point. I know this series is particularly focused on the HR practitioner, but we essentially, you, you've just mentioned a, a key thing. We, we often go into interviews, you know, our baseline set from other organizations and we carry that through. How should HR practitioners, and you've just mentioned, you know, they really should look at that evaluation from a perspective of that particular job and not on past earnings. Is it as easy as that to correct those wrongs or are we going to hit a bit of a wobble when it comes to talent attraction if that's the baseline that we're working from? Yes, look, I, I do agree. It, it is quite challenging um, and it's quite a paradigm shift. But if organisations don't start off at the right level uh, with a particular person, it's very difficult to correct that later on. And so what the the HR practitioner needs to do is make sure that they have the data available uh, on that job. Uh, what is the grade? What is the salary scale? What is the market data? And then, yes, there is going to be a conversation around looking at prior earnings. But for me, the point is that that, that should not be the overall determining factor. Organizations, if they feel that they have found the right person for that job, uh, then they should be uh, paying the appropriate amount uh, for the role. But it is it is very different uh, from you know the traditional thinking, but I, I really do believe that both of these factors need to come into play at the attraction phase. Kirk, I've really enjoyed our time with you today. Any closing comments or remarks on further guidelines before we close out for today? Yes, Karen, I think just uh, the, the, the last point from, from my side would be that organizations should really look at, at their strengths and things they do really well, their benefits that they may be very strong in and, and not be shy to uh, magnify those and really try to stand out in a crowd, as it were, of the marketplace as they're busy recruiting. Kirk, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to our next episode in which we'll start really looking at the keys for a successful annual salary review, which I think is, is really a, a hot next topic for us to move on to. So thank you very much. Thank you, Karen. <laughs>